uh, well, you may remember a few years ago, uh, there was a book released by a guy named Michael Drosnin. Uh, his book was called The Bible Code. And what the Bible Code suggested was that in, in the Bible, uh, there's a secret kind of hidden message. So what he did was he, he took uh, part of the Old Testament, and he took all, all the letters and he put them into a computer and rearranged them into the computer uh, in like lots of rows and columns. And then by reading sort of, sort of across rows and diagonally and in all different directions, uh, he found a number of uh, supposed predictions of things that were going to happen way in advance or way, way ahead of what it says in the Bible. So uh, hidden in, in the text he found uh, names of, sort of John F. Kennedy, close to the name of Lee Harvey Oswald, the assassination of Kennedy, uh, all, all these kind of events. Um, I think Yitzhak Rabin, his assassination, that's in there. Um, a huge number of events. And it all looked um, very impressive. The book sold a huge number of copies. Um, until that was, somebody found that if you did exactly the same thing uh, with, uh, say, War and Peace, uh, you got the same result. They took War and Peace, they translated it into Hebrew, because that's the language the Bible's in, and rows and columns translated across, they found all these predictions. Um, just as good a result. And then um, what really nailed it was uh, somebody found a prediction of the death of Princess Diana uh, in the text of Moby Dick. Uh, <laughs> and actually it turns out that if you take any book, as long as it's long enough, and you arrange it in enough possible ways and read enough across the columns and diagonals, you can actually find pretty much anything you want in, in any book whatsoever. Um, but I do wonder if there's uh, something to be learnt um, from what seems to be a kind of inherent fondness for conspiracy theories around Christianity. Now, it could be just a kind of survival instinct, seeing things when they're not there. Um, so, like the caveman who thought that the rustling in the bushes might be a saber-toothed tiger. Well, he's going to be safe for one time that it is. Um, so, it could be that. But I wonder if, while as a society we don't really believe in Christianity, um, we've kind of held on to suspicion that there's kind of something to it. If only we could understand it. Um, so, for example, the atheist bus campaign, if you remember, uh, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and get on with your lives. Well, well, that only makes sense if there's a context of a kind of underlying concept of a sort of something divine out there that might be there. It's saying that feeling you've got that there might be something to religion. Well, just ignore it. It's okay. You see, it's speaking to a sense that uh, there might be something to it, something hidden uh, that we don't understand, but something there nonetheless. And I think a result of this, this sense, if this is kind of right, um, is that when someone comes along claiming to be able to explain this feeling we have, um, everyone wants to hear what they have to say. So Michael Drosnin, in two books, millions of copies all over the world, um, very, very popular. We might think of the Da Vinci Code, that was recent, um, another kind of claim to a sort of conspiracy theory. Um, or you might have heard of the Gospel of Judas. It's a probably third or fourth century document and there's huge interest about it because it sort of claims to say, oh, this is what Jesus really, really said at the Last Supper. Um, so there's all these kind of uh, claims. Um, there's kind of either a hidden code or there's like an obscure manuscript out there. And someone's found this key to unlock the hidden truth. Well, if you look into these things, there's, 
there's never anything actually in them. If you do the research, um, the Drinch Code is a load of nonsense. The Jesus Gospel, well, it's, it's interesting, but it's not really a, a serious challenge to Christianity. But they do have something actually in common with the passage we're looking at today, because they've got an idea that there's a hidden message in Christianity. And actually, that's what part of the passage we've read today is about. So if you look in verse uh, 35 of Matthew 13, um, Jesus has been teaching the crowds, and uh, what he's doing gets summed up in verse 35. Uh, I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So it seems that there really is a hidden message in the Bible. And Jesus, in the words we've got written down here, is making that hidden truth known. So, uh, just to give you an idea of where I wanted to go this morning, um, if you look at the passage in Matthew, I think it divides into two sections, uh, roughly. Um, So, in Matthew 13, the whole chapter, um, Jesus tells seven parables. And four of them are told to the crowd. He's out on a lake talking to everyone. And then there's three more parables that are just to Jesus' followers. And so, uh, where we've got here, this is the end of the four parables that are to the crowd. So, verse uh, 31 to 33, uh, that's the last two of the four parables. And then verses 34 to 35, I think that's a kind of summary looking back to the beginning of chapter 13. And I actually think the second part helps us to understand the first part. So I'm kind of going to go a bit backwards, um, but hopefully that will make sense. So, two parts of the text, and in each part there's a different thing that is hidden. And so in verses 34 to 35, there's a hidden message. So the message of Jesus is hidden in the Bible. Well, Jesus, he's surrounded by a large crowd of people, uh, so many people that he's had to go out onto a lake in a boat, And from the boat, Jesus has been teaching the crowd in parables. So as it says, uh, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. Now at other times, uh, Jesus said things in other ways, um, but here he only speaks in parables uh, on this one occasion. Now Jesus is quite well known for telling parables, but they're not something that only Jesus used. So in the Old Testament we see uh, there's a few examples of similar kinds of things. Uh, It's a comparison of uh, one thing to another thing and then that's conveying a truth about the world. So for example in in the book of Proverbs there's a few. uh, So it says uh, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Uh, It says a king's favour is like dew on grass. The righteous will thrive like a green leaf. One thing is like another. And on this occasion, uh, all of Jesus' teaching was in parables. And Matthew tells us this was to fulfil what was written in the Old Testament in Psalm 78. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. So in the parables, Jesus is making something hidden known. Now at this point, it's worth asking the question, well, what do we mean by hidden? So Jesus is making them known, but how were they hidden in the first place? And actually, if we go back to the psalm, it turns out to be quite an interesting question. So if you'd like to turn back to uh, Psalm 78, uh, it's on page uh, 589. 
uh, on the church Bibles. Okay, now, the quotation we've read, the quotation in Matthew, it comes from verse 2 of the psalm, uh, which talks about something hidden. So Asa, who you wrote the psalm, says, I will utter hidden things. Now, potentially, what you could mean by saying something's hidden is, is you could say it's, it's something that's a secret. So it's something concealed, something that's uh, placed out of view. So if you've got a debit card to your bank, then most likely you've got a PIN number. And your PIN number is something you keep hidden. It's a secret. You don't go telling everyone your PIN number. Um, but what Asaph's talking about isn't a secret. And I get that from uh, verse 3. So if you look at verse 3, uh, he says, this is something that everyone knows already. Uh, this is what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. And if everyone knows it already, well, it, it's not really a secret. Well, at the same time, it isn't hidden in terms of being difficult or inaccessible. So some things are hidden because we can't understand them. Um, so, for example, quantum physics. It's a theory of uh, how small particles uh, behave. And as far as people can tell, it works. You can use it to make predictions about what will happen and the predictions come true. But no one really knows why it works. Um, it does some very weird things. And even the best scientists don't understand it. Uh, it's a mystery. Uh, so you could say that that's a hidden truth because no one can understand it. It's so far removed um, that no one can get it. So is this difficult? Well, it seems not because what Asaph's talking about is going to be taught to children. As he says, um, we will not hide them from their children but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. So it's not difficult because this is something that even a child can understand. But here we come back to our question, because if everyone knows these things already, and is there simple enough to go and teach them in Sunday school, well, how are they hidden? And I think the answer actually comes up in the rest of the psalm. So, over the next few verses, um, Asaph outlines the history of Israel. And it says, in the past, uh, he's looking back, uh, God was good, and generous towards his people. So if I pick out a few verses, uh, verse 5, uh, God established the law in Israel. He showed people how to live. Uh, from verse 12, uh, he did miracles in the sight of their fathers. Uh, verse 25, uh, he provided them uh, with food in the desert. And then uh, verse 52, uh, God uh, brought his people out of slavery in Egypt into a land of their own. So God is good to his people. But at the same time, people reject God. So in verse, verse 11, uh, they forgot what he had done for them. Um, verse 19, uh, they spoke against God. Uh, verse uh, 32, uh, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So God is good, but his people don't acknowledge that. So God might carry out some, some great miracle, but very soon afterwards, people would be asking, what has God ever done for us? It's as if they're blind to God's provision. They can't see what God has done for them. It's not, it's not a secret, so everyone knew the history of Israel. It's not difficult. It's not, I mean, God is good. It's not a kind of intellectually difficult 
sort of concept to grasp. And, but it's hidden in that people don't see it, even if it's right in front of their eyes. So they've got all the pieces of the jigsaw in front of them, but they just can't put them together. Well, maybe this uh, isn't your experience, but thinking about this, it reminded me of a few conversations I've had uh, sometimes with uh, friends who aren't Christians. And sometimes it seems like the other person just doesn't want to acknowledge me saying anything religious at all. So, just a small example, I can think of once uh, talking about uh, what we did at a church meeting, and I said that um, we were praying about uh, things in the life of the church, what was going on with uh, lifting those requests uh, to God. Uh, ah, they said, uh, you, mean, you mean you discussed those things? And so I said, well, no, 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 I mean that we, we prayed about them. And so they said, oh, you mean you, you discussed them? And it's like a kind of, it's like a bit of a battle. So you think having discussed things would be completely acceptable because, you know, two people can be in a room, you, you don't need a God to discuss things, you don't need faith to discuss things, it's, it's fine. But, but prayer, well, that's a bit weird, that's kind of hard to acknowledge. Now the Bible says that all of us, uh, whether we're Christians or not, um, we're a bit like that. There's just something about us that the Bible calls sin that means we don't want to acknowledge the work or the existence of God. It's like we have this inward disposition and not to understand what God has done. And that's why what Asaph's talking about is a hidden truth. God is good, but people are blind to be able to see it. Well, that gets us back uh, to Matthew 13. You see, in the psalm, Asaph, he's given the history of Israel, uh, he's talked for him about what was in the past. But Asaph does that for the benefit of his own generation. People in Asaph's day are making the same mistake. God's good to them, but they don't acknowledge it. And so Asaph challenges his own generation to put together the pieces of their history, to trust in the God revealed in them. Where people are blind to God's generosity, Asaph challenges them to see. And in Matthew 13, we see the same thing going on. Uh, in Jesus' generation. So in Jesus, God is bringing about his kingdom. Uh, Those who are sick are healed, uh, the lame walk, and the dead are raised. Through Jesus, the good news of the kingdom is spreading. The pieces of God's plan for the world, revealed in the Old Testament, come together in Jesus. It's the culmination of God's plan for the world. But many people just don't get it. They knew the Old Testament, they saw Jesus' miracles, but they either couldn't or wouldn't put it all together. So, um, I think we've been going through Matthew 13, and as we saw earlier in the chapter, uh, Jesus says about some of them, those seeing, they do not see. Those hearing, they do not hear or understand. God is revealed in Jesus, but people are blind to be able to see it. And I think that's the reason why Jesus, in verse 34, talks in parables. You see, like Asaph, Jesus has a hidden message to proclaim. Not a message that's secret, he's out there telling people. It's not a message that's hard to understand, you don't need a degree in theology to understand what he's saying. But it's a message that's hidden, because by our own inward disposition, we don't want to acknowledge it. By speaking in parables, Jesus evokes the words of Asaph, who did the same. As Asaph spoke in parables, challenging people to understand the hidden message. So Jesus does the same here. 
as Jesus makes known the purposes of God, the challenge is to hear and understand. And that's the challenge that applies to us today in that the message of Jesus is written down in the Bible. You don't have to discover some obscure manuscripts. You don't need someone to tell you the secret code. You just need to read and understand what's written down here. It's not about reading between the lines. It's about reading the lines. So, you see, it's not secret. It's not incomprehensible. But at the same time, it is hidden. There's something in us that doesn't want to acknowledge it. We need God's help to understand. And that leads to the question of um, whether we ourselves have understood the message. And even if we've been coming to church for years and years and years, that's something we still need to ask. You see, many of those in the crowds were well versed in the scriptures. Um, they'd been living uh, respectable religious lives. Uh, they had all the pieces in front of them. But they still needed something more. You see, a man who's been blind from birth can tell you that the sky is blue. Um, if he's been to school, someone will have told him. Uh, if he studied science, he could even tell you why the sky is blue. He'd tell you about different frequencies of light, dust in the atmosphere, all that kind of stuff. He might know everything there is to know about the sky being blue, but he's never seen the sky. And it's possible to be like that today as a Christian. You can listen to sermons, you can read Christian books, you can know everything you need to know, you can be an expert in theology. But more than that, you need to see, to understand the truth as it connects with your life. Well, if you like, that's the, the kind of general picture. By speaking in parables, Jesus challenges people as to whether they understood his message. And that challenges us. Have we seen God's work in Jesus? Have we found the hidden message? Well, if you like, that's uh, Jesus dealing with the internal objections people have towards accepting Jesus for who he is with the internal disposition not to accept God's work. But at the same time, in these specific parables that Jesus tells, uh, Jesus is dealing with some of the external questions people would have had um, in the minds of people who had seen his ministry. You see, people at the time of Jesus had some clear ideas about who they thought the Messiah was, who he would be, what he would be like. And Jesus didn't always fit with those ideas. Jesus didn't look like the Messiah they expected. Many of the religious leaders didn't think that's who he was. And so, um, back in chapter 11, uh, even John the Baptist was asking, you know, is this the one who was to come? People have questions and doubts about Jesus. And in this chapter, Jesus is answering some of those doubts in his teaching. And each of the parables we've been looking at answers a specific question people would have had. So one question would have been, well, if Jesus is the Messiah, why don't people respond to his message? And Jesus tells them the parable of the sower. Um, different soils respond in different ways to the same seed, and so different people respond in different ways to Jesus. Well, other people would have asked, well, if Jesus is the Messiah, why isn't he getting rid of evil in the world? Why isn't he judging the world right now? And Jesus tells them the parable of the weeds. Um, judgment is going to be real, but it's yet to come. It's in the future. And another question would have been, well, if Jesus is the Messiah, why is his impact on the world so small? And here Jesus tells them the two parables of 31 to 33. The kingdom of Jesus is hidden in the world. Well, now, it's easy to see why people were 
asking this question about Jesus. So at the time of Jesus, the big empire in the world was that of Rome. Closer to where Jesus lived, the big city, the most important place, was Jerusalem. And a bit like today, all the really important things, the things that hit the news, would happen in the cities. Government, trade, commerce, they were all in the cities. Whereas Jesus was out in Galilee, he was kind of out in the sticks. And if you lived outside of Galilee, you wouldn't have noticed anything happening. So for the Messiah, Jesus doesn't seem to be having a big impact on the world. The kingdom of Rome, well that's obvious. It covered most of the known world. But the kingdom of Jesus is much harder to find. You might ask whether it's a kingdom at all. That's the question Jesus is dealing with here. And in these two parables he tells us, the kingdom of Jesus is hidden in the world. So verse 31, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Now, uh, the key point in this parable is that a mustard seed is very small. It's the smallest of all seeds. Um, and I thought about uh, bringing one in to hold up, um, but it's very small. You wouldn't be able to see it. So, so for those of you at the back, this is what it would look like. <laughs> anyway, despite, despite being so small and so unnoticeable, a mustard seed grows to be bigger than all the plants in the garden. And here we get to the surprising bit of the story. You see, a mustard seed actually grows into a large bush. It's about 10 feet high, uh, but it's kind of more a shrub than a tree. Um, but in the story, it's definitely a tree. It's a very big tree that all the birds come and nest in its branches. Now Jesus, of course, knows what a mustard plant looks like. Um, there seems to be a deliberate exaggeration um, where Jesus is getting imagery out of the Old Testament and applying it here. So, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 31, um, there's the image of a tree used to describe the kingdom of Assyria. So Ezekiel 31 verse 5, it says this, It towered higher than all the trees of the field. Its boughs increased and its branches grew long, spreading because of abundant waters. All the birds of the air nested in its boughs, all the beasts of the field gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. The Assyrian Empire is like a huge tree with birds nesting in its branches. And the same picture comes up again in the book of Daniel. So the king of Babylon has a dream about a tree um, and the dream's like this. Uh, the tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. Under it the beasts of the field found shelter, sounds familiar, and the birds of the air lived in its branches. The same picture, a tree with birds living in its branches. And later on we find out that this tree represents the king of Babylon. Daniel says, you, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. So in the thinking of the crowd, so you listen to Jesus, a tree with birds nesting in its branches would have symbolised a great power, a huge empire. The kingdom of God when it came would be massive, but it all starts very small. The kingdom of Jesus is hidden in the world. 
And we can see that if you think about the story of Matthew's Gospel as a whole. So to begin with, uh, the kingdom of Jesus is just a baby. It's about this big. Um, a baby born in an insignificant part of Judea. And by the end of the Gospel, it's still very small. There's, there's a small group of people who followed Jesus. Nothing particularly special about them. Um, just maybe, you know, 10, 12, 50 people. But following on from that, it begins to grow. So it starts in Jerusalem, it spreads out to the surrounding towns and villages, and from there it goes out to the Roman Empire. Until in the 21st century, there are over a billion people in the world who would call themselves Christians. And there are very few countries in the world where you wouldn't find a church. So the kingdom's grown a lot, and yet it's not what it will be. It's going to be massive, but it started with just one man. And today, in part, it's still hidden. Well, the next parable, um, that forms part of the same message. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the day. You see, when the yeast is mixed into the flour, it's hidden, it can't be seen. But when the bread is baked, you see the difference. The yeast transforms the end result. And again, like the first parable, there's actually a bit of a surprise in the amount of flour being prepared. So if you look at the, the footnote, um, that amount is enough for 50 loaves of bread. This is like enough bread to feed the whole village. It's a feast. And um, there's a slightly different message to the previous parable. You see, in the parable of the seed, the emphasis is growth. A small thing becomes very big. Um, but here the emphasis is transformation. You see, as God works in people, as people put together the pieces of the jigsaw, as they see God's work in Jesus, they're transformed. And we see that in examples of individual lives, people who've come to know Jesus. When people understand the truth of the Gospel, their lives are transformed. Sometimes very quickly and dramatically, sometimes over many years. As we were thinking about earlier in the service, God often chooses people who are weak, people who are uncertain, people who are unimpressive. But coupled with that, God takes those people and he changes them. Not necessarily changing them to be more impressive in the eyes of the world. Uh, Christians aren't necessarily more kind of outwardly successful or richer or healthier or more popular. But God changes them. He makes them more like uh, Jesus, more patient, uh, more loving, uh, more outwardly focused, more compassionate. God changes them. And then through this people, he changes the world. And to some extent, we can see that in, in the society we live in today. So Christians were at the forefront of the movement to abolish slavery. Christians played a key role in the establishment of schools and hospitals. Our Christian view of the world was behind the foundation of modern science. But of course, it's not perfect. On many occasions, Christians have fallen short of what they should be. But where Christians have sought to follow the example of Jesus in the way they live, it's had a transforming effect on society. The kingdom of Jesus is hidden, but where it has an impact, it changes the world. Well, what does that mean uh, for us today? Well, I think one thing we can learn here is that sometimes the kingdom of God is going to look small. Now, it's not always going to be the case. So, for us today, the tree if you like, has already started to grow. So last weekend I was away from Oxford and 
I went to a church that meets in a theatre uh, with a capacity of about 2,000 people and it was full, almost full of people. Um, that was one service. They have four services every Sunday. And so when I was in church last weekend, surrounded by 2,000 people praising God, it didn't really feel that the kingdom of God was particularly small. It was kind of huge, it was very loud, um, it was right in front of me. But at other times in life, it will feel small. You see, if you watch TV, if you read the newspaper, it's all about sports, uh, politics, uh, the economy, gossip, celebrities, all those kinds of things. But it's not about the growth of the kingdom of God. Views from that perspective, things in the world can seem big, where the kingdom of God seems small. Or it could be that you have some issue in your life, some presenting difficulty that seems overwhelming. So back in, in Psalm 78, the Israelites in the desert, at one point they didn't have any food. Now if you've got no food and you're in a desert, that's going to seem big. And the miracle God did last week, that's going to seem quite small. Just hard circumstances just make it difficult for the kingdom of God to seem what it is. So the kingdom of God is, is growing, but it's hidden. And sometimes it's going to seem small. Uh, it could seem an irrelevance. Now that's an issue if you're, if you're not a Christian, if you're just kind of looking in on the church. Because according to this passage, it's very easy to look on the church and see it as being irrelevant. Things in the world, uh, things like money, uh, family issues, jobs, they all look big, whereas the church looks small. And as a result, it's very easy to invest time and energy into the things that look big and to ignore Jesus. But the challenge here is not to do that because the things that look big now won't last. You see, Jesus' picture of the tree calls to mind the Old Testament kingdoms of Assyria and Babylon. And each of them were huge. They were the biggest empires in the world. As it says, like, the birds came to nest in their branches. It's a picture of uh, provision. It's, it's giving out things. It's providing shelter. But where are they now? They're gone. At the time of Jesus, there's the Roman Empire. Again, it's huge and immense power. You compare it to Jesus. You've got his empire that covers most of the world against one guy kind of preaching in a village. There's no comparison between the two. But where's the Roman Empire now? Well, it doesn't exist. And you see, what looks big now, the house you live in, the car you drive, your job, what people think of you, all of that is part of another kingdom. And that kingdom's not going to last. Whereas the kingdom of Jesus lasts forever. And it's still an issue if you're a Christian. You see, in Psalm 78 you have a people and they knew their history. But when they found themselves in hard circumstances, and these are really hard circumstances, being in the desert with no food, that's serious. But in those circumstances they turned away from God. And if you're a Christian, if you're struggling through your life, it's very easy to feel as if God hasn't really done anything for you, as if you've not been saved, as if God isn't on your side. Even if you've got all the pieces of the jigsaw, it can be hard to put them together. The kingdom is hidden. But Jesus calls us to look on what the kingdom will be, to trust in God's purpose, revealed through scripture, and revealed through him. Well, uh, Douglas Hartree, I was a mathematician in Cambridge in the first half of the 20th century and uh, later in his career he worked on the very first computers and in the early 1950s he made a prediction 
that all of the computer calculations that would ever be needed in England could be carried out on a total of three computers. Uh, one that's being built in Manchester, one near London, and one in Cambridge. No one else, he said, would ever need a machine of their own or be able to afford one. Well, despite his brilliance, the Cambridge professor totally underestimated the effect that computers were going to have in society. And the message here is, don't do the same with Jesus.